0: I'm Matthew Stafford, and this is The Education of an Angel Investor, a podcast that tackles the questions and topics about angel investing that are on my mind and might be on yours. Episode 11. Emma Maslin is VP at Ping Identity, a leading provider of cloud identity security solutions and has spent her corporate career in enterprise sales. Alongside this, Emma is part of the Angel Academy Investment Network, which was set up by Sarah Turner, who I spoke to in episode 10. I began by asking Emma what her first angel investment was.
1: So I had been introduced to Sarah at, I'd met her at a lunch probably about four years ago and I then, uh, we started talking about angel investing. I then went along to an event, I got on the mailing list and sort of started to see some of the investment opportunities and I'd always invested in property and, you know, the usual stuff that people invest in, property, savings, those sorts of things, fairly low risk. And we had done some stocks in the past, but nothing like investing in a company. And then I saw on the uh, on the newsletter that came through, there was a company that had managed to get SAP to resell their product. And I was working for SAP at the time. And I thought, wow, how did a 13 person company manage to get SAP to sell their product? That's ridiculous. And they were even SAP were even paying commission to their salespeople if these guys sold the products. They obviously knew that there was a a real niche there. So I said to Sarah, look, I'm really interested in this. Could I meet the founder and have a chat with the founder? And the founder was Emma Sinclair from um, Enterprise Alumni. And then that was the first investment that I made, which was, um, so I made a pretty significant investment, was really impressed by Emma and the traction that she'd made, how she was getting people to resell the product. and and obviously her track record as well so so then that was so so for me it was a real confidence building first investment because i was also going in with a lot of other very experienced investors in a pretty significant round as well so experienced uh, experienced angels in a pretty big round which to me then felt sort of i suppose fairly low risk given what they were doing
0: so that first company stood out from the crowd They were doing something particular that caught Emma's eye, which was that they were selling to the mighty SAP, a rare achievement, especially for a 13-person startup. Having taken the plunge, I then asked what the emotional differences are for Emma when investing in startups versus the stocks and shares she'd invested in previously.
1: It does feel a little bit different when you do the first one. It does feel like... Um, there's a little bit of unknown. And also as well, it's unlike stocks and shares where you just click the button and it's done. You never read the terms and conditions. You're presented with a shareholders agreement that, you know, for most people, they just don't understand. So you really have to get your head around all of those sorts of things. Um, But I think probably the biggest difference is the fact that you can't track it every day. So it's not like looking at your stocks and thinking, okay, right, how have they done today? Is is our stock up or is it down? It's a much longer term gig. And you've got to be thinking, okay, so we'll we'll check on it every quarter, you know, sort of trying to get involved, maybe appraise it every year. But you can't be thinking, right, well, I need to take my I need to take my cash out of there. I need to be thinking about, you know, when I'm when we're going to exit. It's just not like that. It's just a whole different. It almost takes on a life of its own, if you like.
0: After investing in a startup, we can't track the price or performance of that decision every day. And that can cause some people some anxiety, although checking the price every day would cause me a lot more. With the time between making an investment decision being much further away from the outcome of that decision, I asked Emma how long term she is thinking and how she sees the risk.
1: Well, so it is. I think it's. It's you need to be thinking long term, but I think also you need to be thinking you have to spread. So... So if you think about, I suppose the way that I look at it is the same principles, stocks and shares. If you've only got one stock, I think that you could have quite a lot of anxiety with this the single stock. If you've spread your stocks, your, your money across several stocks, so you've got you know oil and gas and banking and lots of other things, manufacturing, etc. You know, even if you think about what's happening in COVID times, some shares have still done very well. Some shares have not done very well. So you need to spread. I think probably one of the first mistakes that I made was we put quite a lot of money quite early on into Enterprise Alumni, a significant investment. I wasn't thinking at that point that I needed to spread my investment across several investments so that you get the similar sort of feel as a stock portfolio in angel investing as you would in, in sort of stocks and shares. So quite early on, you think, okay, well, we, we've got one company, one stock. You need to start thinking about spreading that across you know different industries different sectors different entrepreneurs who are also being backed by different vcs because that's then how you spread your risk essentially so so once i got my head around that i thought okay right so what we really need is we need at least sort of six or seven investments like a, almost in a pod the way that i look at them and then and then that's the pod and we appraise the pod rather than appraising each one individually
0: Having a few startups in a pod is Emma's way of assessing her startup asset class. But before they're in the pod, how does Emma go about finding then judging the startups? What is it that she's looking for, and how does she separate the good from the not so good?
1: Yeah. So how have I found them? So most of the investments I've done, I've done through Angel Academy. I have recently made two investments outside of Angel Academy, and in those instances, uh, one of them, I've been working with an entrepreneur for about six months, and I actually helped them put go through the SEIS SCI process. So so I was very close to their business. I was consulting with them. I wasn't planning on investing. But actually, as time's gone on, and I've got closer to their business, I actually think they that they're, they're doing an amazing job. And I, I really believe in the founders. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at, um, I'm really looking at, you know, is it a viable business? Could I sell it because I'm a, you know, salesperson at heart, that's what I've done for the last 20 odd years. So, so can I sell the product? Can I see that there's a market for it? Is, is the entrepreneur or the founders that I'm dealing with, do they understand how they're going to make money? Are they careful with their business? Do they make good business decisions? All of those sorts of things go into the due diligence. And with the two investments that I've just made outside of Angel Academy, the, the founders really impressed me with what they were trying to achieve. And they had a really great mission, um, mission and vision. And a a good business. So, So that's why I sort of leaped with those guys outside of Angel Academy. Inside Angel Academy, I think it's, I do feel like it's slightly different because you are doing your due diligence with a bunch of other very experienced angels, which I do feel whilst it's still your responsibility, you are backed up by other angels and therefore there's a little bit less risk because you've got more sets of eyes on the same information. So I think you know, it's been interesting. I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. We've made two investments outside of Angel Academy now. I probably won't make another one outside of Angel Academy unless I see something really amazing for six months to a year, because I think I need to have a little bit less risk in the profile and go back to, okay, let's let's learn a little bit about what other people are investing with. So almost go back to the herd mentality, if you like.
0: Can she sell it? As an outsider, Emma tries to imagine herself in the business as an employee doing the job she's done for 20 years, selling. Can she see herself selling it? I also like to think about gut versus analysis in these interviews. So how does Emma see that trade-off if there is one?
1: Yeah, I think there's, for me, I've always hired as well um, in my own businesses. I've hired against people that are coachable. And that's a really big thing that I look for in the founders. With angel investing, you are blessed with a bunch of people who want to invest in your company who have a whole load of business experience in lots of different areas. So what I try and look for is, is the founder coachable? So are are they going to look at who's sat at their table? Are they going to draft people in who've got different experience? And and then are they going to listen to that experience and sort of take that on board and make good decisions? The sorts of things that worry me when I talk to founders are people that almost go from one advisor to the next advisor and take whichever advice they've just been given. They almost can't digest the information of the pack and then make a business decision off the back of it. So that's one of the things I really look for is so we're looking for somebody that's really coachable as a founder, makes the most of their sort of advisory board their investors but they can internalize it and then do something that's right for the company so that's that's definitely something that that I'm looking for because in most cases it's the first time they've ever done this so the question is is so how are they going to conduct them themselves as they go on that journey i think as well there, there's a question of is the advice that you're giving the best advice so i think as a you you could say as an angel investor well let me give them a test But I think there's a little bit of arrogance around that, which is actually, do I know what's best for them? And perhaps I don't. So so I think the test for me is I usually say to the founders, you know, who's sat at the table, who's on your advisory board? Look around the table and think, okay, is there a good set of experience there? Is there a different set of experience or is it all people that are going to say the same thing to the founder? So and are they constantly trying to mix it up, get somebody better? And, and that's more the thing that I'm looking for is I'm thinking, have they got the diversity and experience around them? and are they actively looking to keep improving that? I've been working with some founders recently who they were quite locked in to the people who were advising them and and actually, it's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give people is don't give shares to early advisors. Um, because if you think about if you're a ten person business, you say you're a tech business that's doing a million in revenue, what you need at that point in time in terms of advice is very different to what you then need if you're 300 people and you're doing 60 million in revenue. So I think sometimes some entrepreneurs, they, they feel like they're looking for advisors for life rather than thinking there's probably a core group that need to sort of stay in the advisory pool But as they get bigger and as they change their business and they start evolving, there's going to be different things that they'll need. So they need to almost free themselves of the chains of early advisors and and be prepared to mix things up as they go on the journey. But, But some don't. Some get themselves really locked in and then perhaps they're not the best advisors as they're scaling up. It's educating founders to say that's very normal that you'll need to make a personnel change because you'll need to step things up a little bit. You'll you will need some different experience in time.
0: And given the roller coaster that we've all experienced in 2020, how does Emma see 2021? Is she hungry for more? Is the angel investment landscape changing?
1: So um if I maybe <clears throat> if I give a little bit of context of what I've seen since COVID first hit. So I would say, you know, February, March, April, the shutters came down on everybody. Right. Certainly the v, the VCs started to only really back the people that they'd already invested in. So there was a, a lot less new money that was out there. And I think there was a survey that, that Sarah was involved with where, you know, 67% of angels at, at the point of April, May were still interested in investing. What I then saw was over the summer period where A lot of companies were, a lot of early stage companies were going for new money. The angels were the ones that really saved the day. So there was a lot of investment that was done over the summer period. And in fact, some of the companies I've been involved with, they raised twice as much as they expected to raise from angels during the summer months. For whatever reason that is, you know, maybe people exited the stock market they took the cash out of other things. Um, they they took some risks. You know, maybe I'm not, I'm not quite sure where that came from. But then that gives me quite a lot of optimism, though, about what's going to happen in the future. Because if that's what's been happening over the last few months, providing the angels are still, you know, earning and collecting their money, they're still going to be thinking about, OK, so what do they what do they put their money into next? And there's so much disruption that's going on right now in every sector because of what's going on it's a really great time to start a business. And I think it's also a great time for angels to be investing in the businesses as well. So give you a great example. I worked with a company who most of their business was recruitment. So in February through to May, uh, I think they really felt that their business was just going to collapse. They have completely pivoted their business now and they are doing amazingly well and really on a whole new trajectory. And I think for me that that's really demonstrated that there's so much innovation that's going on right now that that gives us all an opportunity to invest in something different. So I think that the types of companies we'll be investing in will change. But I, th- I think the angels are still very optimistic. I'm I'm seeing a lot of people still investing.
0: A positive note to end on. It's a great time to start a business and a great time for angels to be angel investing. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Stafford, and this is the education of an angel investor. You can find out more at matthewstafford.substack.com.